This episode is brought to you by Crimped. This might be the best tool in the app store when it comes to training for rock climbing. Here's the deal. The Crimped app gives you access to 75 different workouts created by world-class climbers and coaches, Tom Randall and Ollie Tor of Lattice Training, for free. So you can download the app right now and see if you like it. And if you want even more training power, consider signing up for Crimped Plus. Crimped Plus unlocks three main things. Instead of the 75 workouts you get with a free version, you will have access to over 200 workouts and progressions. Secondly, with Crimped Plus, you can create your own custom training plans right there in the app. And finally, you'll unlock a collection of skill templates designed to bootstrap your training and focus on specific areas of improvement. Want to improve your finger strength or get more flexible or conquer the one-arm pull-up? Well, guess what? There's a skill template for each of those things and many more that will guide you through the process. So check out Crimped. Go to crimped.com or download the Crimped app for free from the App Store and consider signing up for Crimped Plus. Crimped. Training on your own has never been easier. This episode is brought to you by Rhino Skin Solutions, my go-to when it comes to taking care of my skin. Here's the deal. We're coming into spring and summer here in the Northern Hemisphere. It's starting to warm up. And if you're like me and you're trying to get outside and climb on rock, sweaty hands are once again a factor in your performance. Luckily for us, my pal Justin Brown, the founder of Rhino Skin Solutions, has a solution. Rhino's line of antiperspirant products are a game changer when it comes to climbing in warm or humid conditions, especially if you have sweaty skin like I do. Check out their performance cream, dry spray, and tip juice to keep your hands dry as you tackle your summer projects. And check out my episode with Justin way back in episode 22 of The Nugget to learn how to use these products and how to take great care of your skin for whatever type of climbing you love to do. Head over to rhinoskinsolutions.com and enter code NUGGET at checkout for 20% off your next order of Rhino's antiperspirant products. Stock up on performance cream, dry spray, and tip juice, and keep your skin dry and happy in the summer heat. Once again, that's rhinoskinsolutions.com. Use code NUGGET at checkout for 20% off your next order. Hello, friends, and welcome to another episode of the Nugget Climbing Podcast. This is your host, Stephen Dimmitt. And today's episode is hot off the press. This is very, very timely. I usually don't turn around episodes this quickly. I actually recorded this episode on Friday, just a couple days ago, as I'm recording this intro and planning to put out this episode tomorrow morning for all of you. And the reason this is such a quick and timely interview is because this is kind of a big deal. We got some really big news in the bouldering world just a week ago. My guest today is Will Bosey, and Will has made the second ascent of Burden of Dreams, the first boulder that was given the proposed grade of V17 by Nale Hukataibel back in 2016. Burden of Dreams may be the hardest boulder in the world. It's certainly one of them. And it has resisted repeats for quite a long time. And people have been curious for a long time 
when this thing was gonna be done, who was gonna do it. A lot of people have tried it. A lot of people are trying it right now. And Will Bosey has officially ticked the boulder and made the second ascent. So I was very excited to get him on the podcast. We actually tried to record this while he was there in Finland and it worked out great. We actually ended up recording it after he sent when he was back in Scotland just a couple days ago. So I really enjoyed this conversation. We, of course, did a major geek out on Burden of Dreams, talked about his training on the replica. If you guys don't know what I'm talking about, I will link to some Instagram videos of him training on the replica, using a pulley system to take weight off for some of the moves, which I've never seen anybody do before. He was live streaming the sessions, just a totally unique and new experience in outdoor bouldering and super interesting. So it was really fun to just geek out about the boulder and his process. I think this is a great window into the mind of an elite level boulderer doing one of the hardest things in the world, how they think about it, how they approach it, their tactics, their shoe choice, all of those things. We really got into it in this conversation. I hope you enjoy this very geeky and very fascinating deep dive into Burden of Dreams and more with Will Bosey. Um, we're talking on a on a Friday. It's uh, afternoon for you, morning for me. What's a Friday in the life of Will Bosey look like? What did you do today? Well, I mean, I guess today's quite different because uh, I've been taking it kind of quite chill. Um, so got up pretty late, did some admin, and yeah, not done much else really. Right on. Just admin being emails and talk to sponsors, prep for interviews, things like that. Yeah, I am then looking at doing like filling out my tax forms for the year, which is <laughs> nice and stressful. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, this is my first year or second year hiring a CPA man for, for taxes. It makes it just gets so complicated when you work for yourself. I don't know what it's like in the UK, but in the States, it's just like, yeah, yeah. man, are they trying to make this as difficult as possible? It's like almost impossible to do on your own these days. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> How are you doing? Yeah, very well. Um, I've been taking it pretty chill. I've had uh, took like a week off, uh, climbed on Wednesday, went one day out climbing. Other than that, just been kind of resting, which has been really nice. You've earned it. <laughs> That's Cheers. awesome. Yeah, um, I'm always interested to hear what happens after a big send. Just the, I mean, we've, I think every climber's kind of experienced that, you know, like the build up towards something. Um, probably not to the scale that you you know, you, you're feeling with this project because you put like 20 days into it between the climb and the replica. And we can talk about that, but, um, everyone knows that feeling of anticipation and like, am I going to do it? Is this going to be the try? And then you do it. And then all manner of weird things happen. Like you're elated and you're psyched, but then there's like sometimes kind of a weird come down where your like purpose in life is taken away and you have to like <laughs> figure out how to replace that. How are you feeling? Are you, are you just mostly feeling excited and positive or anything else um, in the mix there for you? Yeah. So I'd say overall, mostly excited, positive. Yeah. Really happy. Um, I have to say like since coming back and taking a bit of time, I was like, right. So I'll try and get some days out, look for projects in Scotland and also then think about like what kind of to do next. Um, and 
it's a little frustrating because obviously we're coming out well into spring and it's like ah oh, kind of everything i want to try is uh it's all winter venues so like do i really have to wait till the end of the year i keep thinking <laughs> oh, i really want to try this problem but yeah that's a winter place and but yeah in general i'm pretty psyched yeah yeah that, that makes a lot of sense it's interesting i i yeah something i kind of want to i guess i'll just ask it now i was curious to hear if burden of dreams in this process has changed the way you think about yourself and think about your own climbing because you've historically focused more on sport climbing and um, i imagine identified more as a sport climber than a boulderer is this changing like what you think is possible for yourself and what you find yourself daydreaming about as far as potential climbing achievements goes yeah definitely it's definitely changed my perspectives a fair bit um where from a boulder or a sport climber, I, I really don't know anymore. <laughs> I keep being really psyched for all these sport routes like Excalibur, these sort of projects and like training for them and then somehow just getting sidetracked and ending up in Finland, you know. But, um, I feel like I've been bouldering now pretty solidly for a year, so I feel like I'm definitely more more of a boulderer at the mm. moment. Um, but yeah, I mean, like I, I never imagined I'd ever be able to climb 9a really never mind like burn the dreams i always just thought i was completely removed so from yeah from having such a positive trip just to start with and actually sending it it's like kind of yeah it's definitely changed i guess a little bit what i think like i'm now thinking looking at these other boulders that i can always thought be too hard or like for sure like and think oh maybe i should go try them and also i really want to i spent most of the last year trying to find that um but a project that's going to be like my sort of style something i'm super psyched on and right at the limit and um, so we'll hopefully be like a sort of multi-year project that i can really dedicate to mm. uh, and this has kind of made me realize that if i do find something i know it has to be in that more basic style because like the sort of style of burn the dreams i just i think Excalibur, i got so psyched on and i went looked at a project the other day and it's all just like knee bars and heel hooks and i don't know i just i was there like this should i should be really psyched but i'm not anywhere near sights i am mm. and kind of i think it's changed my perspective on realizing what type of climbing i really want to try mm. would you say that's what you're best at that kind of i would call that like board style like pretty straightforward no tricks just full-on pulling is that what you're best at yeah i think so so i mean i think between like my my I think my best sort of things are like undercuts and drop knees. And like, I really like getting into like ridiculous drop knees. If I can find one like foot above the head, sort of like knee breaking sort of position that I get really psyched by that, but they're actually weirdly rare. But yeah, I think sort of crimpy board style power of undercut type stuff um, is probably my favorite, but it makes sense. I've basically always trained on a board mm. like, my whole life. So Yeah. And are you based, where are you based? Are you based in Edinburgh in Scotland or, cause I always see your um, Instagram pop up in Sheffield. It seems like you spend a lot of time with Lattice and at the training center there. Yeah. Where are you based? So my parents have a house in Edinburgh. Like that's where I've grown up. That's where I'm at, at the moment. Um, and I've got like a flat, uh, I've been staying in Sheffield for like two, three years, maybe. I don't know now, but yeah, a fair bit of time. So I'm mostly based in Sheffield. Um, I initially moved down because all of the GB climbing, um, like team trainings, all of it was based in Sheffield, so it made no sense not to be there. Um, and also the the climbing walls, like for competition style, are a lot better down there. 
Um, since obviously not doing the comps anymore, it has kind of made me wonder if I should move somewhere else. Mm. Um, so I'm not 100 sure if I'll stay there, but uh, it's been good fun, and it's been nice being living like so close to the Peak District as well, because uh, yeah, it helped for going to Ravenstor and doing routes like Mutation. Yeah, that's another one I want to talk about later as well. I had Steve McClure on on the podcast and what a legendary route and story, um, just seemingly yeah. so far ahead of its time. It's just great that you went and repeated that. Um, yeah, I did actually want to save that for later, but I could quite happily ramble about that. Okay, yeah, let's let's circle back to that one. Um, but yeah, man, it's it's so good to have you here. I'm so excited to talk with you about Burden of Dreams and really just geek out about it. I know you've done. I already I already listened to the interview that you did with Tom Randall. Um, hard to beat those guys to the punch, man. They're so fast with breaking news. <laughs> like they just get on it the next day and publish it the day after that or whatever. But um, yeah. but I really enjoyed I that. Tom's, Go ahead. Uh, I think he uh, is. Uh, quite a workaholic for that stuff he's like <laughs> yeah he, i think he struggles to switch off yeah yeah it seems like it he's got so many things going on all the time but it's really fun it's i mean it's great to hear you know hear the almost live update right after it happens but but yeah hopefully we can uh we can cover some new ground i'm sure that people that listened to both there's going to be a lot of overlap so apologies in advance to make you uh share some of the same things but um i've got some some new questions that kind of sprung up from uh, listening to that as well. But um, yeah, one of my favorite things, uh, what was, there There was something that just came to mind. There's something that you and Tom talked about that um, really stood out to me that I liked and now it's escaped me. So this whole transition is uh, is going nowhere. <laughs> I'm sure it'll pop into my mind. But yeah, I was, um, I reached out like a week ago. When did you actually send the route? Has it, has it been a week or something? Yeah, um, last Wednesday. Last Wednesday. Wow, it's already been over a week. Okay. That, that yeah, so I sent it last Wednesday and posted about it, I think, on Friday. So okay. a week ago, I posted about it. Okay, gotcha. So yeah, I, um, I, and I'm also curious. I have no idea how much my average listener has followed your story and, and your journey with this whole thing. I mean, I follow you on Instagram. I follow Aiden. I follow Lattice. I follow Stefano, you know, so I've seen, I feel like I've seen all the pieces of it, you know, you guys working on the replica together, but I just became so fascinated when you just got sucked into training on the replica in Sheffield and Stefano all of a sudden is there and you have a pulley kit set up and you're taking weight off to do the first move, which is something I've never <laughs> seen before. It's brilliant. And then all of a sudden you're like, I'm going to fly to Finland and just go try this thing. And then you're in <laughs> Finland and you're posting like full length live stream videos from your sessions. And I was just like, what is happening? Like, this is like totally unprecedented in climbing and in bouldering. <laughs> I've never seen anything like this. So I actually reached out to you to try to do a conversation while you were there uh, in Finland and you didn't have Wi-Fi and, and like the data, you know, data is expensive and it didn't make sense. So, uh, but it all worked out. Now you've actually sent, so we get to, we get to talk about the actual send, but once again, uh, yeah, congratulations. It's, it's just so awesome. Um, what a historic climb and it took seven years to see a repeat. So this is, this is big news. Yeah. It's crazy how long it's kind of taken. And I guess maybe the first couple of years it wasn't tried so much, but for sure the past couple of years it's it's been people have been going and trying it. So yeah, it's starting to sort of feel a bit like mutation in a w way where it gets done and then kind of just stays unrepeated for a while. Mm. Yeah, cool. 
Yeah, that's interesting. Has anyone spent time, not to bounce around or, or distract ourselves, but has anyone spent time on mutation since you did it? Yeah, so it's, I mean, it's had people trying it for a lot of the time. Um, Ryan Pascal spent a lot of time on it. He, in, like, whilst I was trying it, he would come back maybe once every two years and give it a couple of weeks and then write it off again. But uh, there's another British guy, uh, Pete Dawson. He's been trying it. Oh, it must be the same amount of time now. It must be four years, four or five years he's been trying it as well. He's still working on it. Um, and it's one of those routes, hard to say. I, I think he's he's fairly close and probably has a good shot most sessions, but it's just so hard to actually do. Mm. So, yeah, other than, other than Pete, though, I don't think anyone else has been trying it. Mm. Okay, yeah, I'll fill in a little context, but let's uh, let's let's wait on mutation. But yeah, that's a Steve McClure first descent from a long time ago. How long ago was that? Yeah, he did it. He did it the month before I was born. So <laughs> November, yeah, November nineteen ninety eight. Ninety eight. Wow. And uh, yeah. yeah, retrospectively, it was likely the hardest route in the world when he did it. Do you think? Yeah, I think so. So he he graded it nine A, and it was his first nine A. So he wasn't ever going to grade it anything higher. But I upgraded it to nine A plus, and think it like the, I was super hesitant whether to be nine A plus or nine B. Um, and I mean, even even now, I think maybe I should have gone nine B. <laughs> so yeah, five fifteen A or fifteen B for uh, for us yeah. people yeah. in the in the United States. But um, yeah, incredible, incredible, and so far ahead of its time. But okay, let's let's talk about Burn of Dreams first. I've got a bunch of questions about it. Let's dive into that. And then um, I do want to talk about Mutation. I want to hear about Excalibur, uh, King Capella. Maybe we can talk about that as well and where your climbing's going. But yeah, again, it's it's just interesting. I was kind of thinking about this when I saw the news that you had sent. Um, and I think Tom actually said in the intro to your podcast... Uh, that you are the first to do two V17s. And I I, re I reached out to him and sent a message. I don't know if he's already heard about this, but I do believe, just to set the record straight, not to take anything away from you, um, I do think Sean has done two. He did uh, Alphane and then that Megatron thing in Colorado. I'm not, yeah, I can't remember what Tom said. I think what maybe he meant was to first person to repeat two. Oh, first maybe. person to repeat two. Okay. So yeah, Sean obviously first ascended the the one out in Colorado and then first ascended the one in Switzerland as well. Right. Whereas mine have been repeats, I guess. Okay. I can't, yeah. I can't remember what he said though. I'm guessing that's what he meant. Yeah. But I, I was realizing like, okay, so four or five people have climbed V17 now, but I think you're the only one that's also climbed 15C. Yeah. I mean, that it depends what grades you want to take for stuff is the <laughs> fun route to go down, isn't it? Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, yeah, because I graded uh, King Capella at uh, 15C, uh, 9B plus when I sent it. And that was like, uh, being honest, I don't have the experience. I haven't tried enough hard routes, done enough. I graded it off the other routes of the crags that I'd mm. sent. So La Capella was there. It was given 9B. It had a bunch of other people that already, it had, I was like fourth ascent or something, and everyone else had taken 9B and it seemed solid. So, And a lot of people have tried it. They're strong and hadn't done it. So this felt a step up, so I gave it 9B+. Since that, though, um, like Jakob Schubert going and Alex Magos going and repeating King Capea, it seems more that maybe La Capea is 9A+, and King Capea is then hard 9B. Mm. Um, 
And so, yeah, that probably is the case. Um, although Lacopea, interestingly, I think it's pretty bad. I think someone's actually chipped off the crux hold. Uh, so it probably is back to 9B now, if not harder. Damn. Yeah. That's so annoying. That was like literally just the other day. I saw. Oh, really? Man. Why? Why do people do that? Yeah, that's something something I'll never understand. Yeah. But um, yeah, yeah that's, that's a whole other debate. Yeah. That's a shame. Um, yeah. Well, anyway, all that to say, um, something else I want to talk about later in the conversation is how you're able to do both at such a high level. And I mean, seeing Stefano try burden, it's like, well, maybe to to be a top sport climber, you just also have to have the capabilities of a top boulder, and it's not actually that complicated. But um, but I, I think it would be interesting to explore your thoughts on that because most of the other people that have tried or are getting close or, or have done some of these things, these hardest boulders are full-time dedicated boulderers. Um, so I think that would be interesting to hear about, but let's dive into burden of dreams. Tell me about your very first time trying the replica. I believe that's how it all started for you. Yeah. So I, I never like thought I'd ever be able to claim burden. I never even thought it'd be worth going i just thought i'd get so shut down um but aiden roberts who had been there he had scanned the holds and made a replica with them like printing scanning the holds 3d printing them out and then like molding them from the prints and then pouring them in resin so and then measuring all the distances and setting it exactly the sort of same so yeah he had a replica at his home wall um in the lake district and i went there for a session because he had a replica as well of elfing and I went and had one session before our trip to Switzerland in October. And I touched the holds of the burden, Redka. I think I maybe, I might have pulled on once in a position or something. I'm not even sure there weren't mats under it. Um, but it just, even then it seemed ridiculous. But he set another Redka at the Lattice um, building in Chesterfield, just south of Sheffield, uh, at the end of last year, beginning of this year. And yeah, we went and filmed a video for Lattice Um of me and Aiden climbing on the replica. So that was in January. And yeah, I went, that was like my first session on it. And it went a maybe a little better than I expected, but pretty much what I expected. I got completely shut down. Um, and I did, I did manage to do two moves, the two easiest moves, which are also both easier on the replica than on the real thing. Okay. So, Would that be the third yeah, and fourth out of five? These second and fourth on the real thing second i think that i yeah on the real one the fourth is easiest still it's not it's okay i think the thirds may be easier than the second though on the real one okay but yeah i, I couldn't touch the other moves um i was like that kind of solidified in my head i was like yeah this is too hard don't need to think about it whatever and then yeah sean um yeah so that was quite a long session destroyed my skin and i had to rest like two days after i felt pretty broken and then yeah sean posted his youtube video of uh out there trying it and i just got so psyched watching it i was like <laughs> you know what i need to i need to go back have another session on the rep but just make sure it's too hard you know <laughs> and yeah i went back for the second session and then the second session like went really well it was uh like a month and a bit later and i'd like been training really hard for that month i guess but I did the third move and then managed to link the second, third and fourth move together in that session. So I was like, whoa, hang on. Like, maybe this is something that I could do if I really commit to it. 
Wow. What a different level, man. Yeah. Um, first session, being able to do two out of five moves on such a straight, seemingly straightforward, basic style. I mean, I'm sure there's like an insane amount of nuance with those movements and hitting the holds precisely and all that stuff. But uh, yeah, I'm, I'm really curious to dig into your process working on something like this. Um, real quickly, though, that Sean video, I'll link to that in the show notes for this one. You're talking about the one where he's like trying the, you know, hardest boulder in the world in the worst weather or something. And he like, yeah, he built yeah. the tent above the boulder, like the snow tent. And that's so crazy. Yeah. He's like, he's like drying the holds out. The boulder's seeping and wet. He's like drying the holds out. And then all of a sudden he's like, he like does the boulder in two parts or something, or maybe three parts, like overlapping parts. And it's like, where did that come from? Damn. He's really <laughs> close. That was so cool. Yeah, I think uh, to be fair, that's probably a bit of like Sean editing where he, uh, you know, will post the maybe earlier sessions and uh. post some of the later ones and miss on the middle. But yeah, no, he, I mean, he's doing really well. And I've got fingers crossed, but I think I'm, I'm pretty confident he's going to send the next couple of days if mm. the weather stays decent out there. He was looking really strong. So that's um, awesome. Yeah, the, that video is crazy. I think a lot of those sessions where it's showing with all the snow coming in when he's trying to climb, it was just like, completely brutally was saying um so even trying to get to the boulder you're saying the car would get stuck like <laughs> multiple times down the road in the snow and yeah yeah um that's cool i just marveled that he's like out there warming up at the boulder it's a v17 with like tiny holds on it and he's it's freezing outside and he's got a little heater and he's like somehow warming up to climb v17 just at the boulder <laughs> with like a little hangboard. Yeah, yeah, like, that doesn't make any sense to me. <laughs> it's crazy. <laughs> to be fair, it is the warm up game is like one of the crucial parts of it. I think it's really difficult to get right. We spent a lot of time, like all of us have been trying it out there, but especially with Sean, like debating it, trying to work out what's best because you bring a fingerboard and yeah, you, you fingerboard a bit. And then you don't want to do too much because you don't want to get tired, but you also can't try the boulder much because it, it, even if it doesn't feel like it on some of the moves, it takes out of you so much more than you realize. Mm. So it's like it was like warming up on the fingerboard and then trying to do as few moves as possible on the boulder, but just enough to feel ready to try from the start. Mm. Because as soon as you pull on from the start, you're essentially on a single because the first move is so hard. But yeah, if you if you like fall off a move in your warm up and you then retry it, you're like it gets in your head. You're like, oh man, have I already blown the session? Like, am I going to be too tired? So <laughs> yeah, it's 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 really hard to actually get the warm up right. I think for it. Yeah, the yeah that really fine line there between uh, being ready and not and not tiring yourself out. I think that was the maybe one of the most interesting things that you talked about with with Tom is that last move. It's so precise. Like you want to rehearse it every session. You want it to be fresh in your body. You want to feel the sensation of sticking it. But then like, well, what if you warm up and then you like miss the move if you try it in isolation? Is that going to totally fuck with you? And like, is it going to take too much of your skin? And yeah, it just it just seems like such a um, complex game to play out there. Yeah, that, that last move, <laughs> it really gets in your head. It's because uh, I reckon like as a single move, it's maybe like an eight A boulder problem, mm. like a wow. one move eight A. And the left hand that you jump off, you put a lot of force into, and it has like a spike that cuts into your index. So you don't want to try it too much because it 
Like, are you? And also, you don't want to like full commit to trying it because if you really try, you're worried you're just going to split. Mm. And then, yeah, the hold you jump to, you can easily miss. And if you like miss it by just a couple millimeters or whatever, you can quite easily fall off. If you do it perfectly, it feels not that bad though. And it's that sort of thing where you're warming up to try. You're like, oh, if I just half commit to the move. I'm probably going to fall off it and then that's not going to help me get warmed up at all. <laughs> but if I full commit to it, then I'm worried about my skin and like if I full commit and fall off, that's like even worse. But, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was it was interesting. Um going back to the warm up, the hangboard makes sense. What do you do to get the rest of your body ready for the there's like the compression element of it cuz from what I understand talking to Aiden about this boulder the holds are flat. They're not in cut and you have to like squeeze really hard between them um, to get the springiness in your body. Um, how do you warm up the rest of your body for something so hard? I disagree a bit with that. I'd say the holds are mostly in cut. Okay. But the warming up, everything is, I found it was the fingers mostly for the warm up. Everything else felt normally not so bad. So yeah, fingerboard, I'd like to just like, chill two hands so it starts to feel good start going the one hand until i was like feeling confident the one arm hangs i do one or two where i'd be like in different lock-off positions as well to sort of activate shoulders a bit and then yeah basically the sort of standard warm-up i do in the boulder i'd pull on the first left hand hold and the second hold the one you do the big like jump to and just pull on to the wall not like move or do anything just pull on for like two or three seconds and come off just hold that position yeah, that was like savage on the the fingers as well, but it that I think like helped warm up a bit, and then yeah, fourth move, which is probably the most like because the the when you do the third move, the pinch that you go to is like the least thing cut hold, uh, but because it's the easiest move, I guess pull on there, do that move one time. Basically, yeah, just do one move each time, but other than just putting on at the start and like holding the position. But that, I don't know. When I'm warming up on the fingerboard, to be fair, before I even put shoes on, in between each go, I'd go over and feel holds and you kind of like go through the moves, like slightly pulling on the holds. Mm. If that makes sense, if your feet still on the floor. But yeah, I never found that I needed to do any extra exercises to warm up my legs or body, anything other than the fingerboard, then just trying the moves a couple of times. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Another thing that I was really surprised about from your conversation with Tom is you talking about how good of training trying the actual boulder was. It's It seems so precise and so limit. I mean, for most of your sessions, you're like not actually doing that much rock climbing. You know, you're like trying the first move, missing it, falling, resting, trying the first move, missing it, falling over and over again. And it's surprising to me that that felt like quality training. Can you talk me through what your actual process looked like when you had the replica at the Lattice Training Center? Were you supplementing those sessions? Were you doing any other training? Were you worried that you were gonna detrain by just focusing on this one thing or were you just resting and then having hard sessions on the replica? Yeah, so I mean, there's a lot of things I can talk about, I guess, with that. Um, I was definitely worried, firstly, that training on the replica was not going to be enough so my sort of standard training um in like just a normal training period would be go warm up hour hour and a half on the campus board use it as like the warm-up and then progress to some hard exercises then like two hours board climbing and then ideally if my skin's still good 
do like one to two hours of campus, like power endurance boulders. Um, campus power endurance boulders? So you're doing like long made up campus boulders? Yeah, like 12, 14 move campus boulders. Wow. Okay. Um, and then climb two days on. So the second day I wouldn't do the same session, but I'd try and just go and like move, climb on some hard boulders, but not necessarily board problems and just, yeah, have like a two hour free hour session or something and then rest and then to repeat. So that's like standard. Whereas trying on the replica, because it's so, so intense, the holds on your fingers and then also on your skin. So it would kind of destroy your skin like the real one, but also your fingers, you just, you feel like they weren't, you wouldn't be able to train on them afterwards. You'd, like you feel like you've really worked them. You'd be worried. I was worried about injuring them. So I'd go, I'd warm up on the fingerboard. Like I basically almost in preparation for the real thing. I was like doing a similar warm up. So warm up on the fingerboard, touch the holes of the boulder in between. And then once I could do the one arm hangs, I'd go onto the boulder and actually do like a very similar warm up, except it was like a, a lot slower because actually doing the moves on the rep was harder. So I had to like pull in the positions a lot more. And yeah, my sessions started off being like an hour to hour and a half on the replica. And then by the last, the second half, I was getting to two hours. And then the last couple of sessions were like two and a half hours. Wow. So like, and I was basically having a session, taking a rest day, having a session for like the two weeks or three week run up or something to going out. Um, That's incredible. And then, yeah. So coming to the actual boulder, it was like, yeah, I was so doing that. I was super worried that I would be like losing strength. And I did do one or two extra sessions because I could only go to Lattice during the week. Uh, so on weekends, I would go and have like a just one of my normal sessions. Um, But yeah, and then so I was a bit worried. But then when I'd go and have the normal sessions, I was as strong as I'd ever been on the actual, on the other board problems. Mm. So I was like, oh, OK, like it's fine. Everything's good. And then, yeah, on the real thing, I assumed I would be getting way weaker. And I was kind of thinking, oh, maybe I should have gone home when my skin got bad near the start of the trip and just trained at home till the skin got better and came back. Because, yeah, your sessions, you do like the shortest warm-up you can. Try some of the sessions literally like one or two times and then just have to stop. Because of your skin. Yeah. Yeah, just worried about the skin. And also, after a couple goes, you felt like power was just going, on, at least on the later sessions, on the send sessions. But I think the ones in the middle, especially like when I was climbing the tape and stuff, when you, like the first move, I think, is a one move 8B, 8B plus boulder somewhere. So that's like one move V13, 14. That's exactly what Aiden said, yeah. Yeah, and so even if you, so I had sessions where I stuck it five times, Wow. Um, I think in one session. So that's essentially like doing, it's not the same, but it's not far off doing five 13s in a session. <laughs> yeah. So even though I've done five moves, I think like, yeah, training wise, it's like, you don't think of it being that useful. You're like, oh, I've climbed for an hour or whatever. But actually, I think it was like really hard, intense goes. And so, yeah, every session, basically, I would come the next day or like two days later, and I'd feel slightly better than before. Wow. And I think that's from learning the movements more, but also I was just feeling stronger and stronger on the holds. Man, your your recovery is just incredible. I mean, I know I'm in a completely different league as you, but I just, like if I try something 
that's like a really hard board style climb that's like really specifically hard on the fingers. Man, I need like a week between sessions on the same thing. I can try other hard things, but they have to have different holds, different shapes, like hit different, you know, different parts of my body and different muscles and things. But yeah, being able to do that day on, day off and see noticeable progress basically every time is, that's amazing. I think to be fair, the, the best thing with burden for that is the holds are a lot more basic than they could be like they are a bit more like edgy so there's a bit it's obviously not they're not quite straight edges they have a lot of little edges and cuts to them and stuff but it's for sure a nicer problem on holds if it was yeah the same level but on really nasty little like um off like you know every finger at different angles and stuff i'm sure it wouldn't be the same Mm, gotcha yeah reasonably ergonomic Yeah. yeah yeah okay how similar is the replica to the actual boulder? Yeah, so it's hard to say exactly how similar. I think it's it's definitely not the same. It is definitely different. But I think it's similar enough that, to me, every session on the replica was as good as a session on the real thing from a training point of view. So like, I, I definitely counted replica sessions in the overall send because... It felt like, I mean, without those sessions, I wouldn't have sent to this trip. I don't think it wouldn't, it would have taken, I suppose, an extra 10 days. And if I was to take an extra 10 days with all the rest days and as well, like that's, it's probably getting a bit too hot. So basically, the holes all had subtle differences. Um, they're like on the replica compared to the real one. Some of them were slightly smaller. Some of them were, a bit better some like didn't quite have the same texture i guess the the scanning on the phone's not going to get everything like the first left hand hold is definitely worse on the replica by like a fair margin it's hard to kind of get behind there's like a crack down the back of the hold and on the real one you can really sort of curl your fingers and bite into it i struggled a lot more in the replica to do that and like the last hold on the replica for instance is because it's kind of like a drag hold you don't really get to engage and really pull. So you kind of rely on the friction. And on the real thing, the friction's amazing and you can take crazy swings if you hit it right. Mm. Whereas on, on the replica, it was just even hanging under it's really difficult. So you, I had to train to do the last move, not swinging out, which was crazy hard. And then, yeah, so coming to the replica, that was uh, coming to the real thing. Sorry, it was like there were a couple really nice surprises. Been like, oh, wow, this holds really good, actually. But then there were one or two, like the... So although the first holds were better on the real one, the second holds, so the first move you do, that like edge is slightly smaller. Um, so actually that's like it's harder to hold and then way harder to do the footwalk and the second and third move. Gotcha. So the the start hold for the left hand is better on the real thing. And the and the right. Replica, yeah. Both start holds are a lot better. But the hold you're going to is worse on the real thing. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. You just, uh, I mean, you just answered this, but I did want to ask this question. I'm curious if anything else will come to mind. What surprised you the most when you first tried the actual boulder? Ooh, um, what surprised me the most? I mean, I was going there hoping that the last hold was going to be better because I remember watching and like 
in Nali and in Sean's video where, you know, they take big swings on the holes and I was like, oh, it just it can't be the same. It can't be the same as a replica. Surely it's got to be better. So I was kind of expecting that to be better, to be fair. Um, I think maybe one of the things that surprised me the most was the drop knee that I was trying for the fourth move because on the replica, the drop knee makes the fourth move quite okay. Um Whereas doing it with the actual foot that you're meant to use, I really struggled. I did it, I think, once that first session. But mm. if they dropped me, I could basically do it every time. And Aiden at the time, I asked him, like, oh, it's a drop knee, like, does it not work on the real thing? And he was saying basically on the real thing, because it was a little steeper than the replica. It didn't work as well, and it was easier to do the other way. So when I tried the drop knee in the first session, and for me, it, I because I, I guess I like drop knees, it worked really well. Mm. And I was like, oh, Oh, I didn't really expect that, but I was like, oh, wow, that's that's really good to know. Um, and it's an interesting one because I, I was always kind of trying with the drop knee, but in the in the end, I didn't actually send it with the drop knee. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, I used the original Nali foot. Uh, and kind of the reason for it, the drop knee works super well to readjust the holds but it then makes the last move very slightly harder. So basically, if you get the the last two holds badly, you want to put the drop knee in so that you can readjust them mm. and then get them good. Uh, whereas if you get them perfect, then you want to do the other way because it's faster and it makes the last move slightly easier. Oh, I see. So I had one go where I dropped the last move using Nally's way, one go where I dropped the last move using the drop knee, and then I sent using uh, not using the drop knee. <laughs> Did you end up using exactly the same beta as Nolly? Yeah, pretty much. So very subtle differences. Um, the first hold, he was full crimping. For me, the holds were... Um, because they're all like uh, four-finger crimps, uh, I struggled to full crimp because my pinky's so short. So uh, I held it as a pinch instead. Um, and then the when you do the match on the second hold and go for the third move, he was taking his uh, right index finger off and then putting his thumb, his left thumb where the index was. Whereas for me, I would take the index off the right hand and then just move my index round and hold it in the half. Mm. But other than that, yeah, exactly the same. Oh, no, the last move, I use a different foot as well. Okay. That's, uh, that's I mean, that's a pretty special thing about a cutting edge hard boulder that it's there's no way to cheat it you know no one's gonna find a knee bar and burden of dreams it's just like you well, get what you no get yeah. <laughs> yeah there's it's, no knee bars that's for sure yeah it's so but, straightforward that's so cool yeah i mean I'm sorry what like were you gonna say the, that's like the dream problem really is finding something of the one pure sequence mm. i i mean i did find a heel hook beta which uh, i mean we did all the moves and i think is potentially easier but the heel is so bad, it was so low percentage that I think to have enough goes where you actually get lucky enough for it to work, and it is still hard, it's probably easier just to do the normal way. Mm. But I do wonder if someone will do that in the future. And we will be right back. 
This episode is brought to you by Green Chef. Green Chef makes eating delicious, healthy meals so ridiculously easy. Green Chef is the number one meal kit for eating well, regardless of your personal lifestyle. Whether you prefer keto, paleo, vegan, vegetarian, Mediterranean, or gluten-free foods, Green Chef has tasty meals just for you and your way of eating. The thing that I personally love most about Green Chef is that their recipes feature organic produce and sustainably sourced ingredients. That means you get the convenience of a meal kit service without compromising on food quality. And for me, eating quality food is the most important thing that I do to feel good. I really can tell the difference if I'm eating quality food. I just had a box of Green Chef sent to my friend's house here in St. George. And last night I made a Thai coconut chicken soup with carrots, bell peppers, shiitake mushrooms, and black sesame seeds. Mm, it was so good. It's supposed to serve two people and I ate the entire thing and I loved every bite. Right now, my dear listeners, Green Chef is offering you guys 60% off and free shipping. That's insane. Go to greenchef.com slash nugget60 and use code nugget60 to get 60% off plus free shipping. Once again, that's greenchef.com slash nugget60 and code nugget60 to get 60% off plus free shipping. Green Chef, the number one meal kit for eating well. This episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. If you've been listening to this podcast for a while, you'll know that it's not just about climbing. It's also about getting to know people and learning from them. And it's about getting to know ourselves because until we do that, it's really hard to know how to get where we wanna go in life or romantic relationships or climbing or anything. Therapy is all about deepening your self-awareness and understanding because sometimes we don't know what we want or why we react the way that we do until we talk through things. BetterHelp connects you with a licensed therapist who can take you on that journey of self-discovery from wherever you are. I go to therapy twice a month and it's awesome. It's just nice to talk to somebody whose job it is to really listen no matter what you're dealing with. If you're having a hard time or just want a professional to help you become the best version of yourself, then therapy is going to be awesome for you. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. That's what I use. It's entirely online. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. You just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapists anytime for no additional charge and without any awkwardness. It's super easy. Discover your potential with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com nugget today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash nugget. And now back to the show. What did an actual session look like on the boulder? I mean, you've talked about the warm up a little bit and holding the positions and things and how short some of these sessions are. Um, maybe it'd be interesting to hear about the replica training and the actual boulder. You know, once you're once you're getting up to two hours or two and a half hours, what does that actually look like? I imagine that you're spending, I don't know, three quarters of that time just resting, just you know, getting ready for really high quality attempts. Um, what, yeah. yeah, what does an actual session look like? Yeah, so I'll start on the replica then. So a session on the replica, warm up on the fingerboard, do the sort of warm up where I'd pull on the second move and then kind of go through, like do the second move, do the third move, do the fourth move, and then 
do them as a link, do them then as a link, including the footwalk at the start. So essentially pretending I've just done the first move and then you do the full footwalk, link through, fall off the last move. And then set up the pulley, um, which was, was, it was so good, the pulley. And then, yeah, start <laughs> with 10 kilos on the pulley, do the first move with 10 kilos, uh, drop it to 7.5, do the first move with 7.5 kilos, then 5 kilos, then 2.5, and then take the pulley away and then basically just try the first move for as long as I felt like I could. Uh, as soon as I, basically once I knew I was just getting, starting to get worse, like I felt tired on it, I would then stop, try the last move a bit, um, and then maybe try and do like the middle link again, but probably fall off because it was kind of desperate at that point. Yeah. But yeah, I tried the first move close on 20 times, I think. In a session. Yeah. And, and at the end of the rep, the sessions like later on, in the first couple, I didn't try it as many. But yeah, probably close to 20, I think. Including the pulleys? Yeah. Yeah. Including the pulleys. Because in, uh, in the later sessions, because I was getting closer to the move, it felt more obvious when I was getting tired. Mm. And I'm like not doing it as well. Um, whereas in the earlier sessions where you're just kind of slapping vaguely at the hold, it was hard to know. Yeah. Uh, and then yeah on the real thing the sessions changed a lot because obviously the first three i uh, live streamed and i put up on youtube and the first one's an hour long i think second one's two hours long third one's only an hour again um and then because my skin got really bad from there the sessions would have been warm up and I, i don't know if it was premature maybe but i started going for like sengos like from the fourth session and yeah i basically kept just cutting my fingers open straight mm. away so the sessions are like really short like four or five and then session like six seven were really long because i climbed just tape on most fingers and just used them as training what did that look like um, i imagine you you can't actually do all the moves with tape on your fingers so what did those training sessions no. look like are you just holding positions over and over again yeah a mix like i posted a video on instagram at one point which was just me holding the uh the pinch which is like when you stick the third move so pinch of the right hand and then i literally just like monoing the the hold under that you go off and just like campus pulling on and just holding the position hmm. with with a lot of tape i was able you could do the fourth move okay because it's like not so bad and you're a lot in the feet so do that a lot um, would try the third move a lot, but basically always fall off. Maybe once or twice a session I would stick it. And then i try the last move a lot. And the last move's a lot harder with tape because you obviously don't get to bite into the hold, but it is possible if you hit the next hold right. So I had one session where I did the last move 10 times. Wow. 10 times? Yeah, about 10 times. Maybe just under, maybe eight or something. Wow. Um, with a lot of tape. And... It was the sort of thing where I was like, nice, getting this really refined. This is like going to be great. And then, of course, like the first session, I took tape off and like fell off the last move the first three times in a row. And I was like, oh, no. Like, <laughs> but then in the end, when I was coming to the last couple of sessions where it was like the good sessions where I was getting good red point goes, they were looking short fingerboard, super short warm up where I do each move one time and then giving maximum five goes from the start. Mm. I had one where I gave one go, like tore the skin on my pinky on that go and just stopped. 
it's like it was like a two two days rest before the session oh my God. turn up warm up <laughs> have one go and be like right that's another at least one if not two days rest wow so annoying <laughs> <laughs> but Man. yeah so what was the state really of your short. sorry say that again just the sessions got really short got really short end. yeah uh makes sense yeah you're just in peak performance mode trying to get it done what what was the state of your skin when you actually sent the boulder pretty good um so all the sort of points where the where the like the all the worst bits for your skin like the holds were not perfect um so there's like a spike on the first hold that gets the left ring finger and that was a little fin same with the skin on the right ring finger and pinky they were both Thin, but like didn't need to tape like they were good enough to try and mm. um, and they weren't i was thinking i'd get a couple goes before they cut open so i have a couple goes and then stop which is basically what i've been doing each session so yeah my skin was actually fairly good mm. um i think as good as i could have got it without taking a silly amount of rest days yeah yeah makes sense did you uh did you end up doing it first try of the day that day yeah, so my first tries were always the best, which is why we were thinking That's the so warm-up crazy. has to keep getting shorter. Yeah. Because, um, <laughs> yeah, the first time I dropped the last move was first try. The second time I dropped the last move was a first try. But it it could have been a better session, I think, that one. I kind of messed up because I stuck the first move um, really badly. I hit the hold uh, just three fingers, and instead of being like turned on the hold where you can then, like put the pinky, I was like down on the bottom part of it. And we always sort of thought about this because Sean originally was sticking the first move that way because it's kind of easier to hit the hold, mm. but it's harder to hold on and then it's way harder to do the like the foot sequence and match. But somehow that go, I don't know what happened, Like, but I just felt I had the strength to continue and somehow walked the feet, did the match, and it means you don't then need to do the finger shuffle. I just like match straight to the good bit. Mm. Because like my finger wasn't in the way, and then yeah, somehow like sketched my way on every move up to the last move. But because of that, I just I, I think I wasted all my energy, uh-huh. and yeah, I had nothing left. Um, wow. And then yeah, so the the send day again, super short warm up. Every move on warm up, I did first try and it felt amazing. So I just took like ten minutes to chill, and then just got down and first go was just yeah perfect for it. Wow. I suppose that did just remind me the the first day I dropped the last move like I, I, it was that was session over. I tried one more time and I basically had nothing. Like after dropping the last move I had to take like an hour's rest. I was like physically just shaking. I think I don't know if it was adrenaline or what, but I was like straight up just shaking for like half an hour. Wow. That's so was, insane. Just, like I mean we've already established your your like training capacity. It's a, like just hearing that this thing is so hard that someone at your level has one try per day and then you're just totally blown. <laughs> That's fascinating, man. That's crazy. Yeah, it's it really surprising. I'm, yeah, <laughs> I'm normally used to trying stuff where you can try a lot more. Yeah. But yeah, it's, it felt kind of like trying endurance routes where you get one or two goes a day mm. max. Yeah, that's so interesting. Yeah, the two absolute opposite ends of the spectrum, but kind of the same situation. Yeah. That's really interesting. Um, you talked about your shoe selection with Tom. I, I want to hear about that because, you know, there's that great video that Nolly made, um, the Lapnor Project video. It's like 30 minutes long covering his process and him sending 
And there's that classic scene where it's just like a pile of shoes, you know, it's just like a pile of of solutions and then the solution comps and whatever else he's trying on it. And they all look basically impeccable. It's like they look brand new, but yeah. he's like, nah, useless, <laughs> throw it away. Yeah. And I don't know, he went through like 30 pairs of shoes on the boulder or something. Talk me through that. Were you trying the boulder in a brand new pair of shoes every time or um, yeah, how many how many days or tries would you get out of each pair of shoes? And what were you wearing? So it you depends. Talk about that too. Yeah, if if you try the heel hook beater, basically you get a session. Um, I One, was destroying a the session. Heel. Yeah, I was destroying the heels on the shoe in a handful of goes. Um, wow. If you try the normal beater, yeah, basically it's absolutely savage. So there's not many, but there's I guess probably three footholds that are just really sharp and really small and because of that they just cut into the one part of the shoe that you stand on with them so they just like will cut a like chunk out every go so basically you get a new pair uh you put them on you give one go and then you sand like you get sandpaper and you sand them down after every try (laughs) and then yeah it just you can kind of level it out but it's never going to be quite perfect and then after a couple goes it just yeah is gone through again so i think i was kind of using a new pair of shoes when i when i was trying the normal beta every couple sessions maybe every three sessions i was having to like get a new pair out <laughs> and that's with trying it you know a couple times a day that's so crazy <laughs> what what an expensive project <laughs> yeah yeah crazy you could keep wow. trying with the older ones because i did that on the training days and stuff where i had tape um the moves would get a lot harder and you could feel that it was slipping a lot more. Wow. So yeah, it, it does make a big difference. It's really crazy. Wow. That's so insane to think about. And are these shoes like, are they perfectly fine for like 90% of the other rock climbs that you're going to try? Or are they, yeah. are they, okay, that's good. So you have a yeah. huge stash so, of shoes now. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. Like the, the right foot, not so much. It would take like kind of where you stand on the toe. It was taking quite a lot out. But for most of them, because you can, you can kind of sand them down, it's not so bad. And especially for like, if you want to train in them or anything, it's be perfect. Mm-hmm. And what were you wearing? You were, you were wearing high angles, is that right? Yeah, so normal high angle on my right foot and a high angle pro on my left foot. The reason for the, like, the difference was um, when you do the third, third move, oh yeah, maybe I've been saying it's a bit wrong, the third move, the match, sorry, um, Wait, no, that's the second move. Yeah, the second move. Yeah, I've confused myself. Second All move, the foot walking the probably match. makes it, yeah. Yeah, so the, the foot walk and then you do the match in. Everyone else basically can just hold their foot and do the match semi-static or like pretty static. Like Sean, Toru, they're like super chill at that move. And for me, I just could not work it out. No matter what I tried, I couldn't get it to work. And eventually I found that with the Hangle Pro, I could stand on a different part of the foothold and it would then give me enough tension to do the match and then it would pop. So I wouldn't be able to get the hold and then like readjust it or anything. I would just get the hold and then it would go. But it just gave me enough to actually work through it. And I'm not quite 100% sure why that shoe worked a bit better, but it did. Yeah, that was, hmm. that was pretty key for me. <laughs> I love it, man. So specific. The game of bouldering, it's its just getting so funny um, at this level. Yeah. Let's go back and talk about the pulley 
a little bit because I, yeah. I have a couple thoughts and takeaways from that. I, th- I think it's really interesting, but you already talked about um, your, your session on the replica and using the pulley as part of your session on the first move specifically. Can you describe the setup and how that came about? And then I, I'd, I'd love to talk about like what that actually did for you and how that's informing your climbing thinking, you know, you're thinking about climbing moving forward. Cause I imagine maybe not with a pulley, but there's probably a lot of situations where getting a power spot or trying to find some way to yeah. do the move slightly easier is, is going to accomplish the same thing. So I'm curious to hear your, you know, what your experience with that was like, but yeah. Can you describe the setup first? Yeah, for sure. Um, so the setup was with like two hangers put into the wall, one which was essentially in line with your hips, and then another one that was just taking the rope out of the way off to the side so the weights were not going to land on you. Um, they were still a bit dangerously close, to be fair. But, <laughs> um, and basically the first, it worked because the first move of the boulder um, is all, you kind of come from out and you just pull almost straight in. There's very little actual upwards movement or there's not much so it just helps take your weight into the wall rather than pulling you up the wall so it's very hard to explain i kind of it doesn't make sense the way i've explained it but it basically it felt like um yeah it felt like you were taking weight off rather than gravity because it it was still the same like it was still as hard to move upwards but you felt like you came into the wall a bit easier if that makes sense. Yeah, the the way you said it with Tom is that you didn't it didn't make you feel lighter. It just felt like it turned down gravity a little bit, which oh, if I did, yeah, if I got it the other way around, but yeah. Which seems like it's the same thing, but I, I hear what you're saying. It's slightly different. It sounds like it's just a little bit of a boost to pull you into the wall. Doesn't make you feel lighter. You almost don't even notice it, but it but it's enough to make the difference. Yeah, and it's interesting. Because it, because it was only pulling you, because uh, basically when you do the move, you end up hip really close to the wall. So it stops pulling you. So it only gives you that bit of weight off whilst you're moving through the movement. Whereas if the pulley was like above you, it'd be pulling you the whole time. If gotcha. that makes sense. Yeah. So yeah, it, it for this move, it worked incredibly well. I think to do it in a useful setting for everything else would be really difficult. But yeah, basically, I mean, it, to me, it made complete sense. I mean, as you were saying, power spots are like one of the most useful tools, I think, in bouldering. Just being able to just learn the movement and then the next try, you'll try it and you just do it because you kind of just understood what you were meant to be doing. Mm. And essentially, it's just a way of having it so that it's like on fingerboarding where you just know exactly what weight it is each time. It's not like, oh, can you push a bit less or a bit more? And you never quite do it right. Um just having it in a way that's very trainable. You're like, okay, I can, you know, I've managed to do it this way for two sessions. I'll be able to drop it down and you can just progressively keep going. Um, so I've, it's something I've always thought about when, like in the past when I've, you know, with fingerboarding and power spots, I was like, oh, it'd always be awesome if you could do it for pulley and just, you know, keep, start with 20 kilos and just slowly take the weight down every two weeks or something till you get <laughs> to being able to do it with no weight. Yeah. Um, but I always kind of assumed it just wouldn't really work. It would be too awkward to set up and it would never feel right. But one of the guys that works at Lattice, Leo, yeah, he he was just psyched out his mind. Um, so he was like, no, no, I, I'll bring everything in. I'll bring in some hangers, some pulleys next time. We'll just set up, see what happens. <laughs> so 
yeah, it was kind of like a lot mostly down to him, I think, actually trying it. But yeah, <laughs> it was super successful. Yeah, you've you've quantified the power spot. It's it's brilliant, and it does seem like uh, I, um, for people listening that haven't seen this, I will link to your Instagram post um, where you actually use this thing and stick the move with the pulley because um, it's just great. I mean, it's as soon as you see it, you're like, oh, okay, I get it. Um, but it's interesting. It, it looks like it would maybe throw off the movement a little bit, like it would pull your hips slightly in the wrong direction or something like that. I mean, did it feel, was the sensation the same as sticking the actual move using the pulley? Yeah. That, like that's why I always kind of worried, but because your hips really don't move on this move specifically, it actually was kind of, it felt fine. Hmm. It felt Doing the move of like just the 2.5 kilos, so not much resistance at all, felt really close to just trying the move without. Um, and it kind of helped, I think, the sort of training for how the actual problem felt in that when you pull on, it like lets, having that little bit of weight off, let you just feel a little stronger. And this sort the move, you want to stay high. If you like pull on from too low and kind of generate straight from low, the swing it just doesn't work so you kind of want to be a bit higher and like really just engaged pulling in and the weight letting you kind of do that a bit easier mm. i think actually really helps to kind of train that and learn that movement specifically so yeah i found it actually was like spot on for the movement wow <laughs> that's amazing really surprised me but yeah yeah how, I mean, I'm sure this is impossible to say for sure, but just based on your feeling, how much, um, how much time did it save? Like how much more helpful was the pulley in learning that move and really dialing it in versus just trying it full on at body weight? It's hard to say. It's really hard to say because the session, like before I started the pulley, I was feeling really close to the move. Like I felt like it could go any go. But then even with the pulley, it took like one, like two or three sessions to actually stick. Um, but the, the, it's one of those moves where it feels really close because if you hit the hold right, you feel strong, but then your foot comes off and you can't hold it. And if your foot stayed on perfect, you don't, you would never hit the hold quite right. Mm. And I always felt like if I had that go, everything worked, I would stick it. But I don't know if it would have taken a couple extra sessions. I don't think it would have been much. Because the first day I tried the pulley, I think I did with the five kilos. I might have even done with the 2.5. Hmm. So it definitely like was almost there straight away. Um, but I do think it it probably took about a session or two off. Hmm. Yeah, that's that's so interesting. I um I think my main takeaway from watching that whole process was like, man, I need to utilize. Uh, power spots more often, you know, like what a, what a great yeah. thing. And I've, I've heard that forever that one of the best ways to learn a complex movement is to do a slower or simpler or lighter, lower intensity version of it. You know, there's, there's a lot of science around that. It makes sense. It's well established, but I still, for whatever reason, underutilize power spots in my own climbing. And um, it reminds me a lot, like hearing you talk about it. I just put out a follow-up episode with Katie Lamb talking about her send of Spectre. And she was saying that, you know, her partner Keenan would be there and power spot her through the move when she was learning it. And it got to a point where even just having his hand on her back, like there was no way he was taking more than like five pounds, two and a half kilos, she could do the move. And then as soon as he let go, she couldn't do the move. 
And she realized that, oh, he's not really, it sounds really similar to this. He's not pushing me upward, but the boulder's so steep because he's below her in that setting, he's pushing her hips in. So she realized, oh, I need to break yeah. the movement down and, and come into the wall and then go up. And then it clicked. So yeah, it's, it's, it's like weirdly similar actually, but, uh, yeah, that reminds me um, when I was in Switzerland uh, just after, or one of the days I was trying Elfin uh, before I sent it, uh, there with Giuliano Camrego. And yeah, I was doing the same power spotting. And yeah, like initially pushed him a bit and he was like, oh, can you do less? And like did less. He was like, oh, can you do less? I was like, I'm not sure. I was like, literally, yeah, just hand on his back, not pushing. And he was like, dude, can, can you like do less? I'm like, I, I genuinely can't. I can just take my hand off and he like fell straight off and I was like, what? Like I, there was no push at all. Yeah. Super weird. But I yeah. think um I think power spots are really useful for like I've found them super helpful where I've been trying something a lot, not being able to do the move. You get like a spot for it one time. And even if you don't do the move next go, you just feel like way closer to it. Mm. You just feel like you do the movement better. Yeah. Yeah. Big takeaway from this conversation, I think people are going to be going back to using power spots. I feel like it's something that uh, boulderers utilized really well like 20 years ago, and it's kind of fallen off for some reason. But it seems like... Yeah, I, I think it's because falling's kind of become a lot safer with all the pads. Oh, uh, yeah. Whereas back then, if you wanted to try a sort of move that you didn't think you could do, you were kind of thinking, oh, like at least like a really good spot because you were kind of worried about it. It's going to be good to like learn the movement and then try the boulder. Whereas now, I think, because you're not so worried about falling a lot of the time, you just kind of think, oh, no, I'll, I'll just keep trying. It's fine. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. Okay, I have another question here. You talked about this with Tom, and I think you have, I think you had a really good answer for this, but it is something that I had been thinking about um, as I was following your journey and stuff. You know, you're, you were like 10 sessions in on this replica that's probably pretty similar to the thing. And I'm just thinking like, what what happened like what what is the future of this like this is kind of an unprecedented thing what is the future of replicas and is this going to change how we think about not ethics but like the climbing game that we're all playing like for instance if you had chosen to spend two years instead of a month or two trying the replica and you had people go and try the replica and then go try the boulder and come back and tweak it and try to get it perfect and you got to a point where it was so wired that you could show up and flash the boulder, would that be a flash of the boulder? I mean, like, I, I think the way you think about it is kind of spot on. Like, there's kind of an infinite spectrum and there's no way to establish where the line is there. Um, I think you use the analogy of like, well, if you've pulled on a 20 mil edge on a boulder and you've hung on a hangboard, then you've kind of like trained for that hold, <laughs> which is great. That's a great point. But um it's a really interesting thing to think about. Like if someone has spent years trying a replica that's almost perfect and then they go do the thing first try, like, what is that? Do you have thoughts on that? Yeah. 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 I mean, it's something I've definitely thought a lot about with uh, all the comments and stuff. I mean, it's the reason I did the live stream in the first place because I, I was just like, just to show that no one needs to worry. I'm not going to flash burden. <laughs> <laughs> But I think, I mean, it is still a flash because it is still your first go. I, I, I'd i be amazed if anyone was psyched enough to actually train like that. <laughs> um, but I think the key is being honest. Um, as long as you just say, oh, you know, I did the, I flashed this boulder, but I have trained on a replica. 
you know it's because that's very different to just turning up to a crag and like oh that looks cool i'm gonna mm. try that so as long as you're just honest with it and say then i don't think it really matters um obviously they're very kind of different things but where you where you draw the line is kind of impossible so it's uh yeah like if you go and you do a climb the same way if you do a climb um and you find a knee bar on it and you downgrade it by two grades if you just downgrade it and say oh this climb's this grade and everyone's like that doesn't seem right but if you say oh i found this knee bar it changed it a lot everyone's like oh okay that makes Mm. sense so i think as long as you just say what you've done then it's all good. Yeah. No, I like that. I mean, that is the classic thing. There's no cheating and climbing, just lying. Yeah. Or, or not necessarily telling the truth rather than <laughs> lying, if you know what I mean. You know? <laughs> like not sharing the not whole being story. open about stuff. Yeah. Right, right, right. Yeah. Right, yeah. I like that. I, that makes sense. Because climbing is just what like you make of it individually. And that's why I think it's such a good sport and why so many people get into it. But yeah, so as long as you just say what you've done, then that's what counts, really. Yeah. What do you think the future of replicas is going to look like? Like, this is kind of an unprecedented thing, you know, to scan the holds and have them modeled and 3D printed and then molded. Um, I just, I have, I've, had, I've thought about this a lot, like following this whole thing. I'm like, is this going to become more and more of a thing? And are we going to be able to... Um, I mean, it kind of changes climbing, like with something like Burden, where you have seemingly really fickle weather and short seasons. And I mean, Nolly, you know, spent years trying this thing mostly because it logistically was just really complex. It was hard to get a lot of good days in a season. And some of his seasons, it seems like he hardly even got to try the thing. So that totally changes the game, but it's also such a uniquely qualified boulder to build a replica of. Like most, you know, trying to build like a super accurate replica of Alphane, like I don't even know how you do that. You'd have to build volumes. You'd have to build like a custom climbing wall to... You'd have to just scan the whole boulder and make <laughs> yeah. the whole thing, you know? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. For sure. I mean, for most for most climbs, it will you'll never be able to do what you can do with Burden. And I think because of that, the, it won't change that much, the replica stuff. There will be more. There will be more scanning of holds popping up, maybe to do one individual move or something. But I really don't think it will change much more from the replica training that we people have been doing already for a long time, where you just vaguely set with similar holds that you find in the wall. Because I think it is quite a lot of effort to scan it and then print them and then get them cast and made in like a actual material and then to kind of unless it's something right at your limit i don't think it's worth doing that or or as you say it's a boulder where it's really hard to get to and you get very few days a year and then even if that is the case as you say you have to find one that is actually going to work inside and yeah somewhere that you can put it up because burden you can just put on a board and it doesn't get in the way of anything Whereas if you're like thinking, oh, this is on a prow, so I need to go into a gym and then see if they'll let me set on the best bit of wall with all these volumes and stuff. It's mm-hmm. For the, a boulder that no one else is like to try, it would be, <laughs> yeah, it's not really going to work. So right, yeah, yeah, yeah. That makes a lot, that makes that makes sense. I'm kind of excited. Um, <clears throat> one thing I've always wanted to do is, you know, like have my own climbing wall again someday. I've had one before, but do that again and like carve my own holds out of wood, you know, and, and if I have something I'm trying, yeah. like kind of set little three move sequences that are similar. And 
I just think that sounds like really fun and, and satisfying, kind of what Aiden does in, in his shed. Yeah, exactly. I was going to say Aiden's super into that. Yeah. Is like, so when I went and tried his airplane rep, it was all like a carved wood that he had done for the holds. Very similar. That was good. That's cool. Yeah. And that was that one's interesting to me because it sounds like it was a pretty different angle. Like the, the wall at Aiden's house is significantly less steep um, than the actual thing, but he used worse holds. Or did it feel the same? Yeah, I can't remember now. It's probably, <laughs> yeah, you're okay. probably you're probably right. I I don't know. I remember like uh, the undercut that he used on it, which is near the start, was way better than the one in the actual thing. Okay. <laughs> I feel like the uh, there's one or two holds that were way worse. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Um, and then I have to ask you about the grade. I apologize if this is really annoying because I, you know, you have this amazing experience. <laughs> Aiden talked about this with Alfane, like, you know, he, he went out and celebrated after sending the thing and just the number of people that were like, congratulations. So amazing. Is Alfane really 9A? You know, he's like, damn, I'm just trying to have a nice night out and enjoy myself. So if this conversation takes away from your experience at all, we can totally skip it. But <laughs> it's um, okay, I, I feel like I have to ask because, you know, this is news. It, it's um, it, it's history. How does the grade of Burden compare to the other hardest boulders you've done? What are your thoughts on Burden, Alfane, Honey Badger, any others that that kind of fit in there? Yeah, so I'll maybe talk through them like in order of kind of difficulty and send. So Honey Badger first. So 8C plus uh, V16 I did in the UK first ascent. And it's like more power endurance, sim like uh, quite a lot of moves. But most of the difficulty is about seven to nine moves in, I think. And it felt absolutely desperate like the same goal was complete limit on almost every move through the crux in the top half of the boulder um and like it felt so far above like the other boulders even at the crag which were eight c's so i thought it was fair to give it eight c plus um that being said it only took me five sessions and i think the reason it felt completely limit was because i wasn't meant to do it that day mm. i think re like i got incredibly lucky and did every move perfectly mm -hmm. and it was just complete limit with that i think it probably should have taken another couple of sessions of actually like getting stronger on it learning it better and then being able to like do it with a bit more sort of margin being a bit more comfortable yeah a bit more margin yeah exactly yeah that makes whereas, sense whereas Coming to then Elfin, um, it took 10 sessions. And through the first couple sessions, because it breaks down into, I think it was kind of described as like 80 plus 8C into uh, 8C slash plus. And each of those sections took the right sort of number of days, as I would expect to climb on that sort of grade. So the top half took five or sessions or six sessions to link, bottom took like three four five sessions to link as well by itself i can't quite remember exactly the days and all of it felt like yeah this all seems like the right grade when i was going through the process but then the day where i came and sent it um showing like a day or two later like basically every session those boulders just felt so much easier than the days before hmm. Like, I think there's so much, it's such a technical boulder that every session you just learn more. And because it's quite skin friendly and you can have long sessions, I think you could 
you were kind of like having good training sessions maybe on it as well. And so, yeah, when I actually sent it, it just seemed super like surprising. Like the progression seemed so fast on it from starting off not being able to do moves to then each link taking a long time and then to all of a sudden being able to put it all together and the send not feeling anywhere near sort of the limit. Like um, I didn't feel like, like on Honey Badger, every move was like, I'm coming off, like somehow I've stayed on. Whereas this, I felt completely in control. And it kind of made me think like, ah, oh, I'm not sure I should feel like that on 9A. And I was then, I didn't feel I had the experience at the top grade to kind of comment much on the grade. So I didn't at the time. But in my head, I was like, I really don't know if it is actually the right grade. Um, if it is easier, maybe. Then later on that trip, I did Ephira, uh, HC Plus, and also in Switzerland. Mm-hmm. And it, yeah, it was so much easier that I was like, huh, if this is HC Plus, then that would make sense to be mm. 9A, you know? Right. Anyway, fast forward to Burden. And I was thinking, you know, trying the replica, the replica is desperate coming out first couple of sessions I'm like yeah this is this is hard i was like right this makes sense this is for sure the next step up quite possibly this is then like this is nine eight maybe alfine not as hard i was thinking oh if i do burden it'll be absolute limit on every move it'll be like honey badger type thing and at this point i still hadn't really clocked that honey badger just did too fast mm. and then as the sessions went on in burden similar like it way more refined each move felt better and then on the send I, I mean, I almost messed up the last move. I missed the hold slightly. But other than that, I did basically every move perfect and felt it didn't feel that bad. And I was like, oh, <laughs> this was actually way similar to Alfie. And this, oh, I was like, and then it all kind of like started to make a bit more sense in my head. And it still took more than double the days. If you count the replica days, I think 24 days in total. So I'm pretty confident it is the hardest thing I've done boulder-wise, but it's not actually that different i think in grade to elfin so it made sense to me that they would be they they could both be 9a um like for me i think each grade has uh like three sort of sections in it so you've got like solid and then easy and hard so like three yeah yeah, yeah. hard solid easy (laughs) um yeah because like every grade they're not like there's always different ones in the grade you know right it's it's every spectrum yeah yeah, so I felt like maybe, like I think what I said is Burden, I think, is solid 9A. Then Elfane potentially just a bit easier at like soft 9A. And then Honey Badger would be under that at hard 8C+. Yeah. Um, but obviously this is, I, with grading as well, the, the problem when stuff hasn't had many ascents, it's so subjective. Um, I know like Elfane, for instance, I think if you're taller, is way harder. So for like Giuliano trying it, I'm sure for him, he probably would struggle more on Elfane than on Burden, potentially. So mm. yeah, it's hard to say. I hope that kind of answered and explained stuff. It's quite long-winded, but yeah, that's kind of might be my thought process anyway. No, I, I I think it's perfect. I appreciate all the nuance and just the way you're thinking about it. It, it all makes a lot of sense. I mean, I mean that kind of is like the the mystery of climbing. And that's kind of what Nale's whole video was about. He's, you know, the whole time he's like making this um, gambling analogy where this game of bouldering is just this weird thing where one try, everything, the stars align and all of a sudden you just do everything perfectly and you're at the top of the boulder and you're like, what just happened? Like, it it almost feels like a fluke or something. 
And what you're saying about like the way that Alphane learned down because it's so much more technical and there's so much more nuance to the holds and they're also skin friendly so you can try it more. I don't know if we really even know as a climbing community how to think about that when it comes to the grade, like the learnability of a climb, the extent to which you can bring it down by learning all the tricks and stuff. You know, if it if it takes twice as long as Honey Badger, like presumably it's harder, even if you can bring it down to a level where it feels more locked in and, and reliable. Like, I, it's just confusing. You know, I yeah, I, I have no idea. Good. Like, my, I think about it like my two hardest sport routes um, or two of my hardest sport routes, both at Smith Rock. I did them like a few months apart. And uh, I think they're both the same grade, 8B routes. And um, totally different experiences. Like one of them, I like have never screamed louder on a route. I almost vomited at the top. <laughs> I was like almost blacked out, try hard, you know? And then the other one, I just totally floated. And it just felt effortless when I did it. But it took more effort to get it to that point. And I do think that they're the same grade. And it's just like... It's so weird. <laughs> Climbing's just so yeah. weird. Hard climbing yeah, is so exactly. weird. Yeah. W- with burden, I kind of, I kind of thought about it. Um, obviously, having never tried it or anything, but thinking about it in the, in the sense of like, like, have you ever like done something on the fingerboard that was like kind of a weird fluke? Like maybe one time you just like hung a hold that you never been able to hang before, and it kind of just you just did it. It didn't feel hard. Didn't feel like you had to scream or try hard, and then. You try it again, and like other days, you just don't have it. It just like doesn't go. I don't know if that's a good comparison, but he's thinking. I mean, <laughs> I don't know. I feel like on the fingerboard, I'm normally fairly consistent. Um, hard to say. Okay. I th- yeah, I don't know. I feel bad on the fingerboard now. The last couple of years, it's gone way downhill from where it was. And we will be right back. This episode is brought to you by Rumple. My Rumple blanket is literally one of my favorite things I own. It's so cozy. It's like having the coziness of a puffy sleeping bag with you wherever you go. Check out this story. On a surf and ski trip through California, the founders of Rumple got stuck in the back of their car in freezing temperatures and had to bundle in their sleeping bags and sip whiskey to stay warm while they waited for rescue cozy and warm in their sleeping bags, they realized they were even cozier than they typically were in their beds at home. The idea for a sleeping bag blanket was born. Rumpel's original puffy blanket is made of the same materials as your favorite outdoor gear. It pairs durable 20D ripstop nylon with a durable water-repellent finish, so it's water-resistant, stain-resistant, and odor-resistant. This thing is the best. As I said, it's the coziest blanket you could ask for. Perfect for staying warm at the boulders or at the crag. Great for camping. I have one in my van and use it all the time. And just great to have around the house. It'll be your new favorite blanket, full stop, whatever the circumstances. Go to rumple.com slash nugget and use code nugget at checkout to get 10% off your order. That's 10% off your first order when you go to rumple.com slash nugget and use code nugget at checkout. And now back to the show. That's interesting. Okay, so that's actually another topic I want to talk about because there was a period of time, probably a few years ago, where it seemed like every time I logged into Instagram, Will Bosey had like 
done another outrageous thing on the fingerboard. And it was just all these like crazy feats of finger strength. And I would love to hear you describe what some of the what some of the most outrageous ones were like, you know, I, I mean, I remember you, I just scanned back through some of this stuff, you know, you hanging the beast maker center edge with like 20 kilos, um, added one arm obviously. Um, but then totally different stuff. I think like you one arm hung like a six mil with one hand, maybe. Um, no, I, I, I did a eight mil, eight mil. Okay. Hand. Um, the six mil, I think it was still like quite a few kilos off doing, Okay. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's super weird. So I basically, fingerboard was like the main part of my training. I'd do it like every second session, I think. Um, and yeah, I don't know what happened, but basically in the last two years, the skin on my pinkies, because they're super short, they're always basically in drag rather than half crimp. And if I try and fingerboard hard, it will just pull the skin and they just blister. And yeah, I, I basically can have like one session and I have to take rest and stuff. If I try and do more than one in a week, it's I basically destroy my skin. Mm. And I don't really know, understand why that's happened now, but it's made it really hard to fingerboard. But yeah, <laughs> Interesting. Uh, yeah. I think the one the one arm on the 8mm was one of the ones I was most proud of. Uh, I did that as training for mutation, actually. <laughs> I was like, if I get strong enough on the micros, maybe I'll climb the route one day. <laughs> and it definitely actually helped. So that's cool. And then, yeah, on the lattice edge, one arm, I think I did plus 24. Wow. And that would be that would be one of the times where I did that and then never been able to get back there. On the Beastmaker, yeah, I, was, I did plus 25. And basically, when I was in a training block and I was fingerboarding consistently... I found I could add 2.5 kilos or take away from a pulley 2.5 kilos every week to two weeks. And that would be kind of consistent. So if I, whenever I'd like come back from a trip or like from comp season or something, I start training, I'd normally go back to about 10 kilos on the beast maker. And then I'd work back up to 20 within a month to month and a half. And then could like start pushing from there. Mm. Uh, I think on the two arm hang, I did, I can't remember the numbers exactly. I think on the lattice edge, I did like plus 90-something kilos. Wow. <laughs> uh, and on the six wow. mils, I can't remember if I, I don't think I quite got to plus body weight. I must have been in the 50 kilos or six. I, I need to check. It's on my Instagram somewhere. That sounds so gnarly. Just on the skin, like the amount of pressure on your yeah. fingertips on the six mils with that much weight added. That's crazy. Was it the six mils? That maybe that's maybe that's wrong. Maybe the six mils was less, and I'm thinking of the tens or something. It, it's the thing is, it's been a long time. Yeah, I'm yeah. They haven't really like been doing much. I, I did pull on before coming out. Actually, one of the last sessions I had in Sheffield before going to Finland, they've got eight mils, I think, and I did like quickly like go for a one arm lock just to see like how I was feeling, and. I felt like I only pulled on for like a second or two and then just let go for skin, but felt like I kind of could have held them. So I was pretty psyched. Nice. Okay. Yeah, it's um, it's super interesting. It's it's interesting to have had you describe your go-to training session, a, you know, half an hour ago or whatever, uh, the campusing and then the board climbing and then um, boulder campusing, no fingerboarding in there. I was surprised to hear that. So it sounds like you're continuing to build or at least maintaining your finger strength by just doing that stylus of climbing and stuff. Um, but yeah, there's there's so many, I mean, there's so many other different like random finger 
strength feats that you've done. I remember one of them was like a two arm hang on the eight mils, but the holds were upside down. It's like the beast maker eight <laughs> mils and they're like sloped at yeah. 45 degrees. And I was like, what the fuck is happening? Like, how does the, how does the <laughs> physics of that even work? Um, hanging from like pinky monos and stuff. The question is, the question is this. So where I've been curious about this for quite a while because you have people getting so into this hangboarding stuff. I remember, uh, watching some Japanese guy, hanging from like the little two mil rounded edges on the power strips. It's just absolutely crazy. Um, Allison Vest doing a hundred yeah. pounds added on one arm on the Beastmaker center edge. It's just absolutely insane. And she's not climbing like yeah. V20. So I just want to understand what's going on there, you know? So where's the line between <laughs> party tricks when it comes to all this finger strength stuff versus functional finger strength that actually applies on the rock? Which of all those things do you think have actually been helpful for your rock climbing? So I think kind of every edge is helpful, whatever you've done on it-ish. But this might, I don't know if this is true. This is like how I think on it, though. I think basically if you can do plus 10 kilos, you never need to do that edge again. Like move on and try something for a smaller edge or a different hold type. Because I feel like, at least for my weight, so I'm about 60 five kilos 67 kilos um she's like what i don't know 10 stone or something 11 stone i don't know anyway <laughs> you lost me in stone i have no idea <laughs> here i'll uh i'll grab my calculator and convert that to pounds real quick so 67 yeah, same pounds i don't know yeah 65 67 so he's between like 145 and 100 like 143 to 147 pounds roughly something yeah. like that yeah and so for me i thought basically 10 kilos is like 15 percent body weight and i don't feel like you're ever gonna like need to be able to pull an extra more like more than 15 percent even when you're going to a hold i feel like because you get so much power from the arm below i don't feel like you're putting more than that extra weight into the hands so I feel like once you over 10 kilos, it kind of doesn't actually make much difference. Mm. So I've always found that it's nicer to like, if you get can get to 10 on an edge, then just try something else. Because essentially, if you add five, it's you could then potentially have like a training block. You get a bit heavier and it maybe like equals out. Whereas 10, like you're never going to fluctuate 10 kilos. Yeah. And that's like, what, 22 pounds or something. Yeah, exactly. And yeah. So I feel like, once you go past that, it's very much, to me, seems like just party tricks. Hey, friends, I just want to jump in here with a quick clarification. Just in case it's not totally clear, when Will is talking about plus 10 kilos for a hold, he's talking about doing a one-arm hang at body weight plus 10 kilos added. Just wanted to clarify that because I realized that we never actually said whether that was one arm or two arms, but he's so strong that I think I understood that that was implied, that it was a one-arm hang plus 10 kilos. But listening back, I realized that I needed to clarify that. So there you go. Probably stronger than any of us listening will ever be and probably something we don't have to worry about. But just in case you're curious, one-arm hang plus 10 kilos. And in Will's opinion, you're good to go. All right, back to the episode. I like that. So you've like you know, plus 10 kilos for your body weight, at least plus 15% maybe for people listening. You've like mastered that edge time to just move on to the next finger challenge and, and try to train up different grips and different sizes and things like that. 
Yeah, it's cool. Yeah, I think so. I mean, like with the the micros, like on the eight mils, I only ever did body weight and never added weight. But I feel like that was what the, maybe the most useful fingerboard training I've actually done, hmm. like on like a direct effect to an outdoor climb. Yeah, because on mutation, the boulder problem when I first did it, the like crux boulder felt maybe about eight B, and then once I got it a bit more wired, it felt about eight A. And then, and like after quite a few sessions, but then after the micro training, I came back and it felt more like 7B. Whoa. So I feel like that was the like singular, like biggest thing that I did training wise on the fingerboard. That's insane. So initially it felt like V13, then V11, and then like V7 slash eight, somewhere in that range. That's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Although the, the one problem with mutation, it feels like that on the first go, and then you lose the edge of skin, and the next go it feels it's already gone up two grades <laughs> again. <laughs> yeah, let's let's dive into mutation. Can you describe um, the different challenges on that route? I remember Steve saying that he he was like a little surprised, I think, watching you try it, because for him, the bottom boulder problem was always the crux, and like the one time he made it through... <laughs> He sent the route or something like yeah. that. Like he had he had an yeah, easier time with the upper yeah, part. Exactly. Um, and it sounds like you were just flying through the bottom every time and then struggled with the part up higher. Um, sounds like maybe it was a body size thing. Like he just fit into that box a little bit better or who knows. But yeah, can you describe just, it? Can it's you... just Steve being an absolute mutant. <laughs> so, <laughs> That's so cool. I love yeah, it. Yeah, essentially the route breaks down. It starts on uh, old Jerry Muffet route, Evolution which is a 8C plus. Um, I think bottom end 8C plus sport route, but yeah. Uh, and then instead of like, instead of going to the jugs out left, you just continue direct up the face and it adds almost like another half on top. And I did evolution in summer um, on my third try. Oh wow! And it was like perfect. Suits me really well. I was like amazing. Like it makes sense. I should try mutation. Um, it's the same wall. It just continues higher up. But it's not even like that much different. But the holds basically just get smaller. And I, I reckon the top. It took me a couple days just to do the boulder on the top, and then to actually link the top as a half took. Quite, I don't know how many days in total, maybe five, maybe 10. Like it was quite a lot of days to the point that the top half, in my opinion, has to be at least as hard as the bottom. Mm. So the top half has to be at least 8C plus, if not 9A. Um, so you're doing like 8C plus into 8C plus, which. Wow. Yeah, it's absolutely desperate. What's that? 514C. C? Yeah. C. 514C yeah. straight into 514C. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and um, basically, you yeah, so you come from the end of evolution. You do this like crazy crossover move where you have this like undercut Gaston with your right hand and go completely over your body to this like undercut pinch uh, above your head, and that's where Steve always fell. And the first go he stuck that move, he climbed to the top. I stuck that move, I think, five times in one session from the ground. <laughs> you know, like for me, wow. that move was hard, but not that bad. Where yeah. what came after it was just insane. You essentially, yeah, from that move, you then match the hold you're on and you do, yeah, what I was saying at the start, like a V13, but probably it's, it's probably V11 boulder realistically. But to do essentially a 9A route, and then this like 
absolutely savage V11 boulder. It was so, so hard for me. And I think what makes it hard, it's not one that, although you could train and I got stronger and it kept feeling easier, the holds are like six to eight mil edges and they're like broken up. So not even like straight edges. So it's really easy to hit them wrong. The feet are really, really bad. So it's really easy to slip off. And then basically you need all these factors to align for it to actually work. Because if it's too cold, your fingers are numb by this point because there's Mm. no rest on the route and it doesn't work. If it's slightly too hot, you're sweating too much. The holds don't work. If your skin's not perfect, you just like, you just slide off them you like it'll just cut through so having like all three of those things align whilst you're also in a good enough shape for the route and then you actually get lucky and you don't slip or anything is <laughs> yeah absolutely desperate how steve just walked through it on his first try i have no idea <laughs> oh i love it that's so great that's so great to hear your side of it um yeah it, it is really interesting about the micros thing i um I just want to touch on that because it there's so much emphasis and and I've totally contributed to this um, on like bigger edge training, you know, one arm hanging the the beastmaker center edge or just 20 mil training and and I think there's like an interesting combination happening there where for me I build long-term strength way better on bigger holds with more weight. And I do think that that has played a huge role, especially in my sport climbing, um, just being able, like for, for instance, I've trained a lot in the last year and um, I'm in a training cycle right now and have gotten a lot better at like more weight on reasonably sized holds. And I went and tried the sport route that I tried last year. And the hardest part of it last year was a clip. It was just like a, you know, basically a hold the size of the Beastmaker center edge in like a 60 yeah. degree roof. And you're just kind of like clamping with your feet and then you reach through and, and clip, and then you have to like do three moves off of that same hold. Um, and I just couldn't hang on to it long enough. It just felt kind of desperate. And then I came back this year and I was like, the hold just feels bigger. It just feels way bigger. And the clip was easy. And I was like, that is sick, you know? So I think the heavy stuff is good for, for lasting long-term strength. But then the best bouldering trip I've ever had I was combining that with a lot of body weight, small training. Um, I was just doing like two arms at body weight, but just working the edge size down and doing like minimal edge stuff. And that does seem to, I mean, it was a trip to Bishop. So it's like totally the same style and probably more relevant than like if I was going to, I don't know, Waco tanks to climb a hard roof or something. But um, there is something about the small edge training that just, it, it's just like sharpening the sword, you know, like it takes your, your, base raw finger strength and just dials it in for for small holds on the rock and in like a really different way than just training heavy on a bigger edge yeah for sure and i think i think the the as you say like the the most important thing is getting the base on the bigger edge i think also like it's just yeah it's nice to feel like the i don't really do stuff on bigger edges if i do fingerboard now just because I feel like I've like kept the base from doing so much in it. So yeah, I think as you say, like for the long term, it's good to like get that feeling nice and then move and play around on others. Yeah. Quickly back to your training. It sounds like you, I'm sure you maintain a lot of that kind of bigger edge strength from all the campusing, you know, campusing on the campus board and then campusing boulders um, by necessity. You're, you're doing that on probably not all eight mil edges, you know, slightly bigger holds at least. Um, 
How much of your year do you spend training that way? Is that like the the go-to primary form of training that you do whenever you're training and the rest of the time you're just out rock climbing? Or um, is that like a strength phase kind of block? Yeah, how do you, so, how do you think about that? Yeah, it's like the, the main thing I have been doing, at least in the last year. Um, because, I've, I've, because I've ended up bouldering a lot, I've basically had these trips where I go away for a bit, and then when I come back, it's like I've got a month, two months or something, and I'll just start off with that session. And in general, it'll be like you do the camps board and you feel completely broken after that, and then you do some board problems. It's like not the best session. And you maybe like don't do the campus at the end, and then you come back, and after like a couple sessions in, you like can kind of do like the camps board, feel just warmed up after it, and then... Yeah, the board. So it's kind of like a progression session that works over quite a few. Like this sort of beginning of training, I find it really useful. It kind of just builds the base of power, and then as like builds the sort of capacity to train as well. I think, um, and then after like a week or two, when you're just feeling like the campus board warms you up, you're then getting on the board and you can do these like real like you're getting to your like limit boulders again, and you can do them like a lot in a row. So. Basically, I start off using it as like getting back into training, just building some power again, and then I kind of will keep trying those sort of boulders as they get easier, and I'll just try and do them first go each session, and then just add more and more in. So I then kind of transition it into that sort of power endurance. Mm. Um. So yeah, I quite like using it as a sort of general tool and using it for most things, but they kind of it's not always completely the same session. It does change. And depending how I feel in each session, I will like adjust it mm. for like exactly what I do. Why do you add more boulders and more volume to your board session versus once you've mastered those initial climbs, just picking harder ones and ramping up the intensity instead? Why do you focus more on volume? I don't really know as such if I've like got a specific training reason for that, but I just really like the volume side of it. I, I I don't know. When I was younger, I, I can't do quite what I did when I was younger anymore. But um, <laughs> how old are like, you? As a kid, <laughs> no, I mean, like when I was like a kid and you know, yeah. full of energy. I get um, it. Yeah. But I used to just climb like five, six hours straight at the wall. Like mm. go there as soon as I finish school and I until it closes. And yeah, I don't know. I just really, really like climbing. So for me, it's it's super fun to just kind of try and the longer sessions. I prefer. Um, I have to say, with trying burden, it was fun getting into the super short side of it as well. But for me, like, I don't know. Also, because it ends up feeling like it's a bit of a skin issue when you're trying, like, complete limit boulders, or even on, like, a board, like, nice, comfortable holds, you find that, oh, I kind of, I kind of get, can be frustrating if you're coming in and you're like, don't feel perfect. And you're like, oh, I can't, like, not feeling good on it. Whereas when you try the slightly easier ones, they're just under your limit. You can always kind of be sure that you're going to be at least able to do like good moves and like links and stuff on them. So mm -hmm. maybe also a bit mental. I'm not entirely sure, but yeah. I just quite, I quite like having something feel really hard to start with or be really hard and then kind of pushing it, like keep doing it till it feels not that bad. Mm. I quite like that style. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. It's I, a lot of people, especially lately, are really into spray wall or board training. And I, you know, it just comes up again and again on the show. And it seems like there's kind of two different schools of thought. Like a lot of people 
like Matt Foltz and Katie Lamb describe how they mostly just pick hard projects and like session hard boulders on the on the board. Um, very similar to how they go out and rock climb when they're trying projects. And then other people do what you're describing or or similar to what you're describing where they stay a couple notches below their max and do quite a bit of volume in that kind of like second tier sort of strength zone a little bit and build that up over time. And it seems like both work really well. So it, it might just be like whatever flavor you prefer, you know, just do the thing that's going to be more yeah, fun for yeah. you. So yeah, it's, it's just interesting. Yeah, exactly. And I think, I think for me, I quite like the sort of variety as well, being able to try all these different problems. And then I think it works quite well in being able to go places and if like you go somewhere new and you're not quite sure what the climbs are actually going to be like there, you at least have like done a like wider base where you might not be able to get on as well with the like, absolute hardest one if you had just trained on that style, but you can probably try more things and have mm. good success. Yeah. But yeah, because I know Aiden's a lot more, I think, into the like Matt Fultz, just trying like one hard sort of thing and really working on that. But I like that outside. Indoors, it's quite fun to try a lot of different problems. Yeah. Yeah, nice. Um, where is your climbing going? What what excites you the most having finished Burden? When you think about your own future when it comes to climbing, are you gonna are you excited to take this new bouldering level back to root climbing? Um, you already talked about like that vision of seeking out the hardest possible boulder in your style and trying to find something that you can really commit a lot of time to. So is is V eighteen the motivation? Is 15c or 15d or 16a the the motivation are you thinking about any of that stuff definitely not 16a but (laughs) yeah so basically the absolute dream um would be to find a like limit level project to be honest i'm not bothered whether it's a boulder or a short route but i'd like it to be probably a long boulder or a short route um in that in in the style that i described earlier so yeah super basic super just crimpy and you know maybe cool drop these are undercuts but yeah the dream would be to basically to find something in that style that's what i'm currently looking for and just yeah have it as like a long-term like four-year project where it really just pushes me to my like complete limit i'd really Mm. like to find that whatever grade it ends up being i'm not sure i'm not overly bothered but i'd I'd really like to have that like super long-term dedicated project that's awesome how closely does excalibur fit that bill it it sounds like it's maybe pretty similar yeah i think so it's got the the rest in the middle which was a bit like ah damn (laughs) (laughs) not quite the pure power endurance but i'm hoping that i i i'm hoping i could be wrong but i'm hoping it won't be a multi-year project that yeah i think hopefully i'll do it already close yeah i'll do it this winter because i had I think five sessions when I was there in December and I felt like I could get up to the second last last move in the next session or two after those I fell off um just after the rest I think which is like just after halfway on my best goes but yeah I feel like it wouldn't be long to be getting up to the last couple of moves which I know would be the crux on the ground but I feel like it's very achievable. Mm. Can you uh, kind of 
Yeah, sorry, I was just going to say, I kinda, I'm kind of i looking for something like a bit like Burn, where the individual moves take a long time to do Yeah, as well, whereas Excalibur, the moves came together. I did almost all of them in the first session, I think. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I would love to hear you break that one down and give a little more context about just how hard the climbing is on something like that. So Stefano did it, called it uh, 9B+, plus. is that right? Yeah. And it just looks, I mean, it's a 9B+, plus, but like probably the most dense, you know, short kind of angry style of 9A, or 9B+, plus that's uh, been done so far, potentially. Um, and then seeing Stefano show up and try the replica and then go try Burden of Dreams and seeing how well he did on it, given that he's not really a boulderer at all, it's like, wow, how hard are these routes that he's been doing? You know, like how hard are the moves on these things? Um, what are your thoughts on that? Like, what are some of the hardest moves on Excalibur like relative to some of these really cutting edge boulders? Uh, yeah, that is a good question. So, I mean, firstly, Stefano's, yeah, strong as anything. <laughs> like, he's a really, really strong climber, um, which is insane then how good his endurance is on top. I mean, I think, I'm trying to think of moves in Excalibur. So most of the moves are fairly easier. I think I graded it as like the first half would be uh, 8B, 8B to 8B plus boulder. Um, so 13 to 14. Then you get the rest in the middle, which is not a good rest. It's very bad, but you can shake a couple times. And then the top half would be uh, 8B. B plus to C boulder so yeah probably so like 14 15 ish which in like terms of a breakdown is very similar to you know it's not that different to Elfane or but it's you know double the amount of moves I guess um individual move wise the hardest move on Excalibur if you include like the footwalk from the move before as well, is probably quite similar to the last. It's probably like a one move AT. It could be. It could actually, yeah, it could it potentially could be that hard. Maybe seven C to AT. So individual moves aren't absolutely desperate, but like in comparison to burden, for instance, but the uh, linking them together where you have to do like 18 in a row is crazy. <laughs> Finishing, I'm like, yeah, 80. So, yeah, because the second half of the route, you could break into two points because you clip at one point. And the first couple moves could be like 8A boulder. And then you do one, two, three moves as the second half. And those three moves just by themselves, yeah, could be like 8A plus 8B. Wow. So it's it's pretty savage. <laughs> That's so crazy to think about. That's insane. That's awesome. <clears throat> um, what's next for you, Will? Waiting for winter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, what are you going to so... do all summer? I mean, it sounds like you're going to keep looking for cool things to try. Maybe try to make the best of the, the spring weather. Um, hopefully you get some colder days. Um, do you just yeah. go into training mode all summer? Or do you have trips planned? That I've mostly done training over the last couple summers. Um, I I was really keen to come out to Colorado actually, um, 
But I'm really keen for all of America. I've never climbed outside, so I've got tons I want to do. And I was kind of thinking I would have done the trip in March where I went to Excalibur and then a couple of days just to check out Burden and then would have had like some point for April come out to America. Whereas now I'm like already like, oh man, it's probably getting a bit hot for everything I want to try. So I'm not quite sure whether to still come as we're already kind of coming into May um, soon. So yeah, I'm not sure about that. Basically, I've got nothing planned for the next couple weeks or months. So maybe I'll end up in Flatanger, look at Silence. Maybe I'll go to Seus, uh, check out some routes there. Um, I need to check. I've actually got enough days in Europe. But yeah, <laughs> just trying to think of where's cold, where I can go, mm. basically. Because once it goes above 10 degrees for me, it's... Uh, not good mm. obviously celsius i don't know what that is in fahrenheit but. yeah yeah gotcha yeah it's it's really cool to me that you're uh you're like i just want to find something hard could be a boulder could be a route doesn't really matter <laughs> <laughs> do you do you ever do anything to train your endurance or do you just get fit on the on the routes when you go on a sport climbing trip um i mean in the past i would do it circuits a lot for like comp climbing so I was super into training endurance. Uh, recently, I've not done really much at all. Uh, I mostly just got fit on routes when I've tried them. Like when I did um, Estado Critico in Sierra, it's like the famous sort of 9A there. Um, it's like super funny. You do like an 8A start, and then there's a 7C boulder, which is like the crux, and then just endurance to the top. I'm not quite sure what the top breakdown is but basically everyone that tries it is an endurance climber because it's this 40 meter route and everyone when they stick the boulder the first time most people climb to the top whereas i think i did the boulder on my second try and then basically fell on it like each go i just fall like one move higher till <laughs> i eventually got to the top of the route so yeah i'm more like normally end up building the endurance out there but if i got psyched for a route and a route trip i would i would train for it i do circuits mm, okay gotcha well awesome man whatever you end up doing i'm excited to follow along with your live streams and with your training updates and all that stuff to see thank you to see what you do but i really appreciate all the time today i appreciate you uh covering new ground with me and, and uh, rehashing some of the same stuff you've talked about already. I'm sure you're just buried in uh, requests and interviews right now after this <laughs> send. So, um, Thanks a lot for having me. But yeah, super fun, man. Um, I like to ask a couple kind of go-to questions in wrapping up. Um, this doesn't have to be about climbing, but it certainly can be. What is something you wish people spent more time thinking about? Does anything come to mind? <laughs> um, Whoa. No, I was not ready for that. So many people spend more should spend more time thinking about. Uh, I don't know. I actually, that's I have no idea. Um, <laughs> I put him on the spot with that one. I suppose maybe in in terms of like climbing, I guess something that could would be something. I suppose you could use it in life as well that people should maybe spend more time. Cause something like a lot of times people ask me for maybe a little bit of advice or something on a problem or this or that. And I just like tell them to, Oh, have you thought about trying this or in your training? Have you thought about just spending some time doing like more time on the wall and just thinking about why you're standing on that part of the foot? So I think just more time thinking about what you're doing, I guess. Mm. I don't know. <laughs> 
hard question. No, no. I, uh, yeah, there, I mean, there's kind of a deep lesson there, like not just going through the motions, but actually paying attention to why you're doing the things that you're doing, both in rock climbing and in your training. More thoughtfulness there. Yeah, that's great. That's that's a great life lesson, actually. <laughs> we could we could go deep with that. I, yeah, um, I don't think I'm like the best person for life lessons. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, what is something that you feel excited about right now? Could be an upcoming trip for a route. It could be new, you know, possibilities for yourself and your climbing. Could just be like getting a chance to chill out for a little while and not think about hard yeah, projects. I mean, I've been super excited for it to be fair like the week I've just had just sort of chilling not not doing too much just kind of relaxing and sending I've got quite a lot of things I'm really excited for uh hard to pick one but um I'm very excited to get the like uh the bird and send footage edited and like a little film made and keen to check that out when it when it's ready and stuff um and yeah I've got a few more projects that I know of that I want to go look at um hopefully in the next couple of days. So really psyched for that. Nice. Up in Scotland? Yeah. Very cool. Hope you find something hard without knee bars. (laughs) Yeah, right. (laughs) May you find many drop knees and no knee bars and small crimps. (laughs) Awesome. Uh, Where can people find you? And is there anything else you want people to know about? Plugs, anything like that before I let you go? Uh, So people can find me on instagram and youtube i'd say are the main two it's just will bosey i think on both well my youtube's maybe william bosey but will will get you there as well okay i'll um, find it i'll link to it awesome and anything else you want people to know um i saw one comment today actually that did make me laugh on the post of it up they're like Oh, you should say you're not going to release the send footage till you get to 50,000 subscribers or something. <laughs> so you should go and subscribe. Otherwise, there'll be no send footage for the next five years. Go and subscribe. So. I'll link to his channel in the show notes for this episode. Go and subscribe but to Will no, so you can um, follow along. Yeah, I think I'm good. I don't, I don't think there's anything else. <laughs> all right, man. Well, I'll let you go. Thanks so much for doing this and taking the time. I will link to all things Will Bozy in the show notes at thenuggetclimbing.com for you guys listening, um, including his Instagram posts about you know using the pulley system and training on the replica and some of that fun stuff. So go check it out if you haven't already. Thanks for listening, everybody. And we'll see you next time. Awesome. Thank you. Hey friends, before you go, quick shout out to all of our sponsors for this episode. As always, you can find links to all of our sponsors and you can see the coupon codes for their products in the show notes at thenuggetclimbing.com or just by scrolling down right there in your podcast app. I make it really easy for you guys to get great deals on some of my favorite products. So check them out. Scroll down right there in your podcast app or check out the show notes at thenuggetclimbing.com. And as always, I put tons of goodies in the show notes. So for this episode, you can find links to all the things, videos and books we talked about, related podcast episodes, my guests' links, etc. You can find all of that stuff conveniently linked for you at thenuggetclimbing.com. Just find this episode and all of the show notes will be there, including timestamps so you can scroll around and find some of the best nuggets from this interview if you want to listen to those sections again. And as always, thank you guys so much for listening. 
If you want even more great content, if you've been loving the show, I do have a Patreon. I have tons of bonus episodes over there, almost 50 bonus episodes. They're called follow-ups that I've published so far with past guests from the show. Those bonus episodes are some of my favorite interviews that I've done on the podcast. You can get access to all of those and ad-free episodes and more for $5 per month. Go to patreon.com slash the nugget climbing to learn more. There's a link for Patreon right there in your podcast app as well. Thank you guys for listening. I appreciate all of the support. Happy climbing. I hope you have an amazing week and we will see you next time. Sick photos, man. You got some really good ones. I'm I'm psyched that you captured the badass nature of burden. Pretty awesome. Cheers. Yeah, it's um such a cool problem. <laughs> to be fair, on the on Thursday we went back the next day just to film extra stuff that we hadn't, and we did a lot of climbing. And then I woke up on Friday and I had put, I don't know basically because so much of the climb there's like a lot of holds where you just engage across like this. And I don't know what I did, but I pulled something like my shoulder and neck. And then I had like a really bad neck for like a week. Oh, it's no. like eased off now. But I was just like, oh, man, like, the, the, like getting the photos in the video, like, took me out. <laughs> you got to do it for the gram. You got to do it for YouTube. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Will's putting his body on the line for you guys. That's great. <laughs>